And now for a dramatic reading from the book of Mary Ellen. Biting Polio, Act 1, in Dr. Jonas Salk's laboratory. There was a very bad disease, and polio was its name-o. P-O-L-I-O, 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 and polio was its name-o. Do you believe that a similar hook could have changed the course of the COVID-19 pandemic? Allison, I would like to answer you in the form of song. Yes. C-O-V-I-D, C-O-V-I-D, C-O-V-I-D. Get your booster shot and please stop making us sick. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. I'll see you on the charts. Um, (laughs) The medical charts. The medical charts. Um, Welcome, everyone, to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary Margaret. I'm still Allison, and I'm not quitting my day job to write pandemic jingles because I fear it's not there for me. You know what? Like, honestly, I'm so hyped up by it. This is like the sickness in my personality. I get interested in something, and then I'm like, but what if I tried my hand at that? Like, it could be anything. Like, there are weeks where I'm like, I'm going to throw it all away and become a woodworker. And right now, like just doing that with you, I'm like, I'm reminded of the fact that Barry Manilow began his career writing jingles. He wrote the nationwide theme song, among others. And I'm like, I am a fan of Lowe, but could I channel Barry and do this? Can I go pro? Like, can I, ha- can I hack it? Something I love about Mary Ellen is we've, we're only getting to know her over about three to 400 pages total. We don't have like a huge universe of Mary Ellen, but right. they're basically, she's like a Barbie. There isn't a profession she won't try. That is 100% true. I mean, <laughs> the Barbie trailer is upon us. That's in the ether. And she she kind of is like Barbie. Like there's many, you can see her emerging as a multi-hyphenate for sure. I think she'd be a great teacher based on what we've seen previously. Mm-hmm. She has aspirations to be a singer, songwriter, full-time band lifer, YouTuber, blogger, rocket scientist. There's nothing that she won't be planner. Oh, yeah. Producer. <laughs> Relationship therapist, you might say. Hairdresser. Dog walker. We are talking about taking off, which I think is like basically everything that Valerie Tripp has ever done for American Girl could have had that as a title or subtitle. But before we do that, like, what are you fascinated by? We had a conversation off air about like something kind of like tragic that was like taken away from us, I think, today. Not taken off, but taken away. Wow. Yes. I mean, neither one of us enjoys spoilers. And both of us were spoiled last night or this morning about a major plot point in Secession, which we both have not seen yet because we both like to wait and take in a bunch of episodes in a row. And now we know some huge development. I generally like to, you know, kind of put the onus on the watcher, right? Like if you're not going to watch things that are like prestige appointment television, that's kind of on you to like Mm. figure out how to navigate it. But I think Mm -hmm. the speed with which people have gleefully wanted to ruin things from this show has been really interesting. And I think because there hasn't been something that has really rallied people this level since The Sopranos, right? Like this is, people keep saying it's objectively one of the best television episodes of all time. We are not going to spoil it. I do think if the Barbie movie was spoiled for me, that would be a whole other thing. I think that would be very shocking to me. I think I would be terribly upset. Otherwise, I spoil things for myself all the time. Like, I kind of knew that, like, Mary Ellen was going to pull through and get people to get a polio vaccine. Okay, wow. You can anticipate that. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I saw that coming. You're living in 2030. Yeah, I think there are certain things. It really depends. There are some things I really don't care about. Like you just told me some love is blind stuff and I didn't really mind because you're ahead of me. But with some other things, like I think a drama show or a fictional show or a book, I don't want to know. And, you know, sometimes we live in a world where people don't give you a heads up that they're about to dip into some spoilers. No, I mean, we know how the 1950s turn out. And as the peek into the past tells us with Mary Ellen, great if you were affluent white or middle class and it it reminds us not great if you were not and you know i mean that's i mean that's a spoiler valerie but 
What what else are you consuming? What else is of interest to you lately? I will say first and foremost, like I have never been so tired recently, mainly because I'm about to move in like less than a week. And so that's been a journey because I've been both like doing DIY projects at my house, packing up our apartment with Anna. So it's kind of like we're living between two places and I'm channeling all of my HGTV dreams. And, you know, like I said, I would throw it all away to be a woodworker. I just did epoxy resin repair on a shower, like tile. Like, do I know how to do this? No, but a man taught me on YouTube and I kind of hacked it. I'm feeling empowered, but I'm also just like extremely scattered right now. And also I need to say judged. I'm calling out a man who I will not name, who came to my house and I he was there because of a home warranty our realtor got us and I thought I could get a free microwave out of it, which ended up being true. But anyway, the house I bought is from 1968. The kitchen is almost entirely like original. So the stove, the cooktop from 1968, the microwave is from July, 1986. And the man comes in and he's like, oh my God, we don't even make parts for this anymore. And then he like opens the door and he's like, it's from July, 1986. He's like, did you think anything from this period would still work? And I said, sir, I'm from (laughs) July, 1986. How dare you? And he was like, I'm going to guesstimate 70 years old. And then he immediately pivoted and was like trying to teach me how appliances work. But it's just been a lot. There's a lot of different things. Like, I don't really know what's going on, but I am excited to move. And also to have something very special to me is like, my we just passed the anniversary of my grandmother's passing. And when she passed away, she left me a bunch of her like treasured objects, like not expensive, but just like held a lot of meaning. And one of them is her dollhouse from childhood when she had scarlet fever and some firefighters built her this dollhouse with like materials they scrounged from a local church being renovated. So that's coming with me to my house. Maybe I'll post a picture of it when it's moved, but I'm going to renovate it. So if anyone out there knows like anything about that, like hit me up because I don't know what I'm doing, but I am excited to try it. But apart from like real life things, I'm also watching Perry Mason. I don't know if you're into season two yet, but I won't spoil it for you, but it's very good. I'm always looking for people to chat with about that. But we're also watching Love is Blind. Like, where are you at? What's lighting you up? What's happening? I mean, definitely Love is Blind is a huge commitment. It's been a shock to us all. Like, there was an unexpected villain. And I won't spoil it for people who aren't there yet. But I think people are starting to question the significance and or legitimacy of the Lachey's as hosts. And I do think we ought to give them credit because I appreciate the audacity of someone who isn't, say, Stanley Milgram, like repeatedly asserting that they're doing a social experiment because one, it really (laughs) isn't. It's not. And that's okay. But I love the persistence with which they call it a social experiment because I think that's brave. And no one will ever be remembered so clearly for using the word obviously than Nick Lachey. And I want that for him. I think that's where he like deserves to be in our pop culture pantheon right now. And people are saying like, we don't even need them for the reunion. We do like you actually do need a very strong and capable host who's adept. I like to listen to Nick Viles recaps that he does of Love is Blind, which are needlessly long. But he has interesting perspective on like who gets portrayed as a villain or like how he sees production working certain angles. And he's kind of like the friend who says like, oh, I don't really like have any gossip and then like slowly leaks it out the whole time. Like he does know things about behind the scenes. So I appreciate that aspect of it. You know, beyond that, it's like we don't know, like we might have to put out a bolo for Joe Alwyn in the next few weeks. I don't know. I think it's impossible to say. I do think that anyone who has questioned the media literacy of young people doesn't know about Taylor Swift fans because they will question everything. And they're like, this is what this kind of sourcing means. It's all very interesting. I don't know who knows the truth. By the time this comes out, I think we'll have a better understanding, but maybe we won't. A gal has her secrets. Maybe we won't. She has her secrets. She has every right to those. And, you know, there's a TikTok um, person whose name I'm not going to remember, but during the women's most recent um, March Madness tournament, they had this series that was like, is this girls, is this women's basketball coach? Yes. Um, queer or just a women's basketball coach. And it was kind of funny because like a lot of them are straight and, you know, some that she profiled who are queer are out and openly queer, but there was one person that people kept requesting and basically they did one and said, look, I hear people want me to talk about this person 
but they are incredibly private about that part of their life and always have been and have never commented on it. So I think that I have to respect, I really want to respect their privacy and I'm not going to speculate. And I think that that's kind of where I land on a lot of the Kaler stuff. Like, obviously, my phone has been blowing up about this and I'm loving the TikTok videos. And I think to me, there's a difference between like in the group chat, like having fun conversations, whatever, interpreting song lyrics and like going on these platforms and you know, I understand like wanting a fellow queer, per- like a person you admire to also be queer, but I also like want to pump my own brakes on speaking about that publicly because I want to respect whatever privacy she may want around that part of her life. She also may just be straight. I mean, not to say like just, but you know, I'm sad for her if she's sad, but I hope it's a good change for her. I did hear something that she's dating someone else, like a guy. I don't know if that's true, but I hope it's not Jack Antonoff. I'll just put that out there, but like enough. I, I believe he's taken. I do believe he's taken. I have seen people putting flowers on Cornelia Street. Oh my God. Oh, I love that. That's great. I think the truth is like whatever presentation you get of her is a small percentage of who she is as a person. And I think as long as you know that you are commenting on like what she's chosen to share versus what the reality is, that's an important distinction. I will say like, I do think that of all the characters we've like come across, I think that Joan and Mary Ellen, if they had occasion to do so, would listen to Lavender Hayes and would respect it because we kind of get this sense that Mary Ellen's older sister is just like rushing into a 1955 marriage to her sweetheart and like not thinking it through. And one of the most interesting like plot twists of the Mary Ellen series for me is like the true evolution of a side character, which is pretty rare in these mm. books. But that actually really kind of took me aback. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But this thing of you only know a percentage of who a person is. And a lot of times side characters in these books are even main characters. We're getting like a snippet, right? We're not getting their full story. And that was a very pleasant surprise to me to get a whole other dimension of an older sister when that doesn't happen pretty much in these books like the uncle and the Rebecca stories or like the cousin rather like we get certain people but that doesn't really tend to happen yeah I think that's definitely true and also just sort of like in some ways a narrative that doesn't have a full resolution like you don't necessarily know what's going to happen with the sister or like what her future looks like and I kind of like that And just like before we get into Marilyn, I'll say as a suggestion, if you're into thinking about these kinds of topics, like Taylor Swift drops some acoustic versions of Lavender Haze and Antihero, and they're very, very good. And also I want to recommend the Boy Genius album that just came out, which is called The Record, which is also very good and about friendship and a lot of the themes that, you know, I think American Girl tackles too, probably just a little bit grown up. So, you know, lots to enjoy right now. Should we get into taking off? Let's do it. I'm scared, but let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is Mary here to talk to you about one of our favorite sponsors, HelloFresh. HelloFresh takes the hassle out of mealtime this spring by delivering pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-prepare recipes right to your door. Skip the checkout lines and get outside in the warmer weather because HelloFresh has dinner covered. Now look, everyone, I'm going to use this ad to offer you a very brief audio house tour. As you heard on the episode... And as you're hearing this, I'll be within 24 hours of having moved. Now, I moved to a house that is not old, but let's let's call it vintage. And the oldest part of the house where it feels that way is the kitchen, where both the stove and the cooktop are from 1968. And as a repairman said, the microwave is, quote, ancient. They don't, quote, even make parts for this. And it's from July 1986, which is also my vintage. So that's been difficult to sit with. But something that is not difficult to sit with is knowing that, you know, as Anna and I are getting situated in our house, we can throw to things like HelloFresh, which has quick and easy meals to prepare, which makes me feel less stressed out, you know, living in what I'll call a historic home. I want to recommend the fast and fresh pineapple chicken tacos and the falafel power bowls. Um, which can be ready in 15 minutes or less. And no worries if you're not a pro in the kitchen. HelloFresh's foolproof recipes arrive pre-portioned and easy to prepare in just a few steps. HelloFresh is not just for dinner. In fact, HelloFresh has you covered for every mealtime occasion from snacks and easy lunches to seasonal celebrations and festive gatherings. Would it be weird to host a housewarming party with HelloFresh gear? 
I mean, I don't even know if that's possible, but I'm just sort of like thinking that into existence. Typically when I make this myself, it comes perfectly portioned for two people. Anna and I like to cook together. We listen to podcasts, we listen to music and just catch up on our day. So it's really like a nice, sweet sort of family time. So I hope that maybe it's that for you. Or it's just a way to kind of like do something affirming for yourself, have a home-cooked meal. Um, so if this sounds good to you, go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirlPod50 and use code AmericanGirl50 for 50% off, plus your first box ships free. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirlPod50 and use code AmericanGirlPod50 for 50% off, plus your first box ships free. So I will share, there are actually a few different descriptions and it's important when we talk about these, we did read the Be Forever version and we both read the unabridged 2015 copies of these books. So we have what appears to be a real person waving on top of a car. We did not read the version that's 128 pages. So there are going to be plot points that we talk about in this discussion that you will not have if you listen to some of the audio content or if you bought that version of the book. Turning 10 is a big deal, and Mary Ellen Larkin wants to celebrate it in a very special way. Will she choose a Western theme or decide on a superstar celebration, or will the event turn out to be something even Mary Ellen doesn't expect? And which party participant surprises her the most? Then Dad comes home with a silver surprise and big plans for a family vacation. On the trip, what will Mary Ellen discover about Joan and her wedding plans? What will Mary Ellen decide about her own plans and flying high? That was an extremely chaotic summary. I apologize. It, it is what she is. It is what she is. You didn't write it. And no. You know, in some ways, like it defies summary. These books defy summary. And I think, you know, just as a jumping off point, we've said this before, but these books should have been. I think Val wrote these as a six book arc. Yes. And that's what she submitted, like, you know, by Carrier Pigeon or whatever else. And then the brand was like, we're doing B Forever. This book has three very clear, interrelated, but discernibly separate storylines, one of which is a 10th birthday party, which is usually the fourth story in, right, like the evolution of an American girl. We then transition into a completely needless and chaotic family road trip in which she saves the day in two ways, at one point physically, at one point emotionally. And then we end with her like STEM aspirations with rocketry and we kind of get into some like changes that are afoot for the entire family. Like it is so clearly three separate stories. I'm curious what you think about this Be Forever format being American Girl books as true novels. Like, does this feel like a novel to you? It does not. And well, let me say. <laughs> the people's court. People's it court. Not. It does not. Gavel. But let me back up a second. Let me kind of explain. There is a version of this book where you could say, you know what, Val and the brand are really channeling, you know, authors like Charles Dickens and like 19th century authors for whom publishing a novel serially in a magazine and then collecting the whole thing in a novel to be sold as one piece makes sense. So like you can see how they could have put this out in smaller short stories and then collected this together. And you would sort of say like, yeah, it's a novel. It does kind of hang together, but it's a bunch of different pieces. So in that way, that's how I would qualify it as a novel. If I think about it as like, say, Judy Bloom, and we read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, for our Patreon this month. This, and this is unfortunate. I read this after I reread Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I'm sorry, but it's truly unfair to put anyone next to Judy Bloom. Like, I'm sorry, Val. Like, you know, you and I go way back. Have I accused you of murder many times? Sure. Hopefully you can look past that. But that's hard. And I think she's up against it with this with this format. She is excellent at the sixth book, and I really wish they had let her do that. What about you? Do you think this works as a novel? I had the same experience. There is an immediate depth that you get with the Judy Bloom character. There's a world building that's really brilliant, but there's something about the interiority of a Judy Bloom character. You understand the title character, Margaret, in a very specific kind of way. Something I've I've really enjoyed when we've gone like deep into these books and we've done, you know, six sequential episodes about a character is we always talk about the last installment, the changes as like, so how has this girl actually changed and what has changed around her? And I think there's some interesting commentary to be had there with Mary Ellen's life. 
this book to me really felt saddled down by the fact that we have like an arc that builds to the birthday and a show that she decides to do to inspire people to get vaccinated and that kind of calms down and then we have an entire arc about the family cramming into an airstream which like being a claustrophobic person i almost am not sure that we can even like talk about that in great depth Mm -mm. that is then totally like that is done we move on respect they go back to school and we have this entire interesting thing about like her trying to assert herself as a young woman with ideas about science each one of those would have made for a fabulous book and i don't think the issue is length because this is 180 pages which is what it would be if it was three separate american girl books my problem is trying to keep it all under the umbrella of a single binding and feeling like it's consistent and it's for me it was not and again that's format not the actual story I think that's very true. And I was actually thinking about the change over time across all of these kind of mini stories that are collected into two books. And it, I mean, this is just my two cents. I don't see a ton of change over time in terms of like lessons that Mary Ellen was supposed to have learned or like things that you kind of want to see her build on some stuff. And it kind of just feels like because we're so thrown into these different storylines you kind of just get a surface read of her as a person and her navigating like one challenge. And then we move on to something completely different that has nothing to do with the previous lesson that she may have learned or something like a through line. We don't have her say being interested in science in book one and then, you know, doubting herself or being, you know, you know, persuaded or talked down by peers or boys in her class. And then you build to the last story where she, you know, speaks back to Skip, which, you know, whatever, Skip it, um, who talks her down and treats her like the secretary, like that would have been a great climax. Like, wow, look how much she's learned. And instead it's like, you know, we're really all over the place. Something I like about the start of the book to kind of get into that, we're immediately thrown into her planning her 10th birthday party. And there is one persistent thread with Mary Ellen, which is she wants to feel different. She has a lot of siblings and she wants to feel distinctive and different. And overlapping with this timeline is the fact that her sister is getting married. And Mary Ellen tries to combine the fact that her mother is making her bridesmaid's dress with the fact that she wants a new outfit for her birthday. And I love that she thinks that her bridesmaid dress for late in the summer is going to be ready May 7th. Spoiler, it's not. Like, this dress is not even close to being done. She decides that she's going to have a kind of benefit to raise money for polio. Something that actually really took me aback in this book and that I liked a lot, somehow Valerie Tripp really puts you there where she really, like, Mary Ellen is so proud of herself. And she's like, she's like, I'm basically doing World Aid, like, before World Aid. I mean, it's a lot. She's like, we are the world. Let's do it. And you really feel, like, how juvenile the actual perform is but you also know that she's so proud of herself and I think that's a really like hard balance to strike and Valerie gives you this like beautiful scene of her like really thinking she's killing it and like the agony leading up to the performance this was done very well in the Rebecca and the Claudie books Mm -hmm. right where you really feel that thing of like I need this to be amazing like I used to put on shows for my family and also that 10,000 foot view of like The show is not really it, but her parents are proud of her for taking a stand. Like, that's what they're actually proud of. Yes. Because the the songwriting is, like, not... It's not great. Like, and the the star of the show is the guy who uses, like, fake guns to, like, get people to think about getting a vaccine. Yeah, and that part is tough. I mean, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I think going back, like, I love that her original concept for her birthday party is movie stars and that everyone's going to come as their favorite movie star and she's going to come as Debbie Reynolds. Like, I love that for her. Like, in a few years post Singing in the Rain, like, love this. We've been on the journey with the bangs. Like, she still doesn't hold it against Debbie for inspiring that. Like, she's going to be Debbie Reynolds. Then we get the personalized, like, I'm going to have a fundraiser kind of thing. And I think it's interesting because on the one hand, I wish there was more in that plot point about her own personal experience of having polio and like an interiority moment there of like, there is a really beautiful moment where Val writes about her remembering what it physically felt like to have polio and so wishing to spare anyone else that pain. And it's a really powerful moment, but I was wishing there was like 
some intervention in this play, which I'm putting that in scare quotes. Originally, she produces a script where it's like very serious, like giving a speech (laughs) and everyone's like slow clap, like that wasn't good. And her friends are perhaps too fierce in their feedback. And then it becomes a variety show. Everyone's pitching in. You're like, wow, this is nice. Like friends all working together. But what's lost is she gets stage fright and can't say her speech. And then Wayne kind of just like air guns around pretending to be Dr. Salk doing the vaccine. And it's a lot. And it's like, okay, it's nice that there's this collaboration. She's let other people in on this thing that's very personal to her. But the piece where she actually makes the personal connection is all in her head. Like we read that because we're reading along with her. I wish that we had gotten to hear some of her talk and didn't include anything about her personal experience because I think that's something that's actually in a meta way missing from histories of polio, which is real patients' experience of having polio. And in recent years with the 50th anniversary of the vaccine, which is probably what inspired this in 2015, like, you know, there's some histories have come out and have really centered that because most medical histories are about like doctors and moments of discovery, as is her play. But, you know, it's like, could we get some of your experience? Like, I'm fascinated to learn about what that has meant for you. What was that like? What has that meant for you? You know, we hear that she has weakness in one leg, but like, what else, what other ways has this affected your life, your sense of yourself? I don't know. It's really a very minimal part of it. And I think it's kind of always the struggle with American Girl. You know, when we read Samantha or when we read Rebecca, like they experience factory work as an observer, but they don't actually have to become factory workers, right? right? Like there's so many different like characters where there's like a proxy experience or something. And this is actually kind of unusual. It's a step in a different direction where a character has had a personal intimate experience with something traumatic and then marshals that in a way to try to make social change. I do really appreciate that there is a character who stands up in the classroom and says like, my mother says it's unsafe, you know, kind of speaking for that voice. And in April of 1955, there was a tremendous amount of press coverage and acute anxiety about the fact that, you know, vaccines do contain a version of the disease, right? right? And so I'm, I'm trying to be very careful with how I say that because the way that they phrased it in the 1955 newspapers was like, you're getting polio and you may get polio. right? And Boston, in fact, had a, a surge of cases in the summer of 1955. They admitted 650 kids at Boston Children's. So people were really afraid, like I'm being given polio. And Jonas Saul, personally, in a way that I think does kind of mirror, you know, Anthony Fauci, went on campaigns and said, I'm giving this to my children. I am personally like watching and giving my children this polio vaccine. I respect the fact that they like noted dissent and they probably had no idea when they wrote this book in 2013, 2014, like that would be such a huge part of our life five to 10 years later. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of surreal to think about what the intention was in 2013, 2014, 2015, and what the intention would be now in like sharing this book with a child today, because they have their own history. I mean, there are some kids whose entire lifetime is COVID and, you know, working at a college, like talking to high school students, who's like a lot of their high school years were in the pandemic. Like there's so much of people's personal history that they would be bringing to this book that you and I even can't appreciate when we think about our own childhood. So I think that is an interesting piece and to flag the descent of it, um, I think is really important. I kind of wish too, that there was a moment where, you know, like the parents could say to her like, hey, is this like bringing stuff up for you? Like, or how are you doing? Because what ends up happening, I'm just going to put this on front street right now. Dad is not it for me. Like, I'm coming out against dad right now. I felt neutral about dad until the Airstream showed up in the driveway, (sighs) which is coming. I'm anti-dad, but like, yes, that is the, that's a hallmark anti-dad moment. But I want to flag an earlier anti-dad moment, if I may, which is when... So Marilyn kind of like has a moment that some might call a diva moment, but as Mariah Carey reminds us all, like 
please pay attention to like the misogyny in that word. But like, let's say she has like a passionate moment. She comes out against the rest of her production and is like, you guys are all making changes that I have not co-signed. She feels like getting away from her, her original intention of like having a sincere like plea for people to support the March of Dimes and to get vaccinated. Anyway, she storms off set, aka out of the backyard. There's a very tense dinner, and then Dad's like, "You want to watch the wash the car with me?" And he's like, "You know what went down? Like, what's going on?" And she's like, "No one could like everyone was changing my stuff. Like, no one respected it." And he's like, "Oh, so your pride got in the way?" And it's like, okay, that is true, but also there's something else I think going on there, which is like, I think her friends and her siblings didn't understand knowing that she had polio, how maybe emotionally she was wrapped up in what she wanted to do there or just this subject. Like to me, that's a moment where in 2015, with our perspective, you would want to have dad say, hey, you know, how are you feeling about this? Is this bringing up anything for you? Like, do you want to talk about it? Instead, he's like, oh, your pride got in the way. That's the problem. Like, you just need to like get over it and like apologize to everyone, ask them to get back on board and just roll with it. Now, yes, sometimes people get their pride in the way and like it's good to know how to compromise. But I was just kind of like, dad, this is kind of not like, can you do a little more here? I actually, I clocked a different moment that I became like on the path to anti-dad and it is the same scene, but it's for a different reason. Okay. When dad compares her benefit show to his bomb shelter, I really wasn't pleased with that because- I blocked that out. It's- it's not implicit that what she's doing is pointless in a similar way to how a bomb shelter is pointless. It's explicit. So dad is cleaning the car and he says, you know, your show sort of reminds me of our bomb shelter. It does ask Mary Ellen, like, and she's like cooling her feet off. Like it's a very well-written scene. And he says, if an atomic bomb fell on Daytona beach, it would wipe out everything here. Our bomb shelter would probably be useless, but it's the most I can do to try to protect us. It's all I can do, so it's worth my effort. And your polio show is worth your effort, Ellie, because even if it isn't much, it's something you can do. Oh my God. And I took offense to Dad. that, not just because it's like a way to talk to a child and she literally thinks like she should cancel the show after this. What I didn't like about it is she actually raises like a not insubstantial amount of money that has a direct benefit. And the fact that a polio survivor is coming out and saying like, I think this is important is really like a huge thing. The March of Dimes was a movement that really tried to activate children as kind of like political actors and like mothers as well Mm -hmm. and like parents to kind of get people into this. It's not like a bomb shelter at all. It's a direct action that actually like will have consequences and will save lives. A bomb shelter is like a psychological thing, (laughs) right? That people are using to fight the cold war. She literally raises money and like they use stuff she makes as part of an ad campaign at her doctor's office to get children vaccinated. It's not the same at all. It's not the same at all. Dad, pay attention. Also, dad, are you aware that there's multiple forms of influence? Again, I don't care what this man does for a living, but like let's presume He's aware of like multiple forms of compensation. Like maybe he gets a bonus and he also gets health benefits. (laughs) Like there's, you know, like many paths for him to have understood the fact that, yeah, she's, she does actually like earn, as you're saying, or raise a not insignificant amount of money. And she influences actual people in her audience to get vaccinated. Like that is huge. Like words of mouth actually influencing people like march of dimes was like a sort of safe air quotes or like a thing that moms in the suburbs could get involved in and stage their own fundraisers and like people had fashion shows and all kinds of stuff almost like um uh you know like selling tupperware it was like a thing like women could get involved in but part of the power of that was like they drew on their networks they had all kinds of influence that was not just raising money and she's really demonstrating that and he just has I also just hate as a person when someone's like, I hear you're going through something. Um, That reminds me of me. And it's like, we're not talking about you. Like, hit pause. And I don't know. It just seems like her dog was also out there. And I was like, this dog is more of a comfort right now. Like, dad, you should leave. We also, I mean, I think it's hard to underestimate. Like, right. So a lot of this fundraising started where um, FDR would say, don't buy me a birthday present give money, even if it's pennies, even if it's a dime, give money to an organization that will help to support children and families that are in need. 
And the idea of children rallying together, right? It did also feel like this is such a truly like an American story because when her success becomes known, people at the post office and then at the mayor's office are very excited. And it's like, that is something that hasn't changed, which is that we ask children to take on the mantle of being public health messengers and fundraisers. It's like these stories we hear of children like making sure their parents get a diabetes pump or that the janitor right. at their school is able to like have health care. That hasn't changed since 1955, which should make people in power very ashamed. It's not doing nothing. She is actually having a direct impact. The scene on pages 14 to 15 is where like there's kind of this argument about polio and we learn that she actually like physically experiences pain and has this trauma that comes to her through nightmares. You really wonder like once we've learned this information, how much of her wanting to feel appreciated and seen and like a movie star is like she had some rough years, right? Like yeah. she had some years where she was really dealing with something. And the family had to have been afraid, like they could have lost all their children. Like that must've been yes. really scary for this family. And dad's like, you know, you're not doing anything, but you might as well, like the show must go on. Dad says, I'm glad that the show happens. I think the show part is like very light and very fun. Yeah. Again, it's very much like Claudie very much feels like cut from, you know, a similar mold in terms of like the child saving the day. When that airstream shows up in the driveway, like, did you scream? I was, I was like ready to pass out. I was like, absolutely not. I am not doing this with you people. Like, there is no way. What I do love is that mom is like all of us in that scene, and Mary Ellen picks it up. And do you have the quote in front of you? Hold on. I have a lot of mom quotes where mom is basically like, "This is domestic labor on wheels." Like, oh mom God. is is not happy at all. I. That part, I had to take a break. I had to put this book down because I always think of those commercials of my childhood of the person like surprising their spouse with a car at Christmas. Nope. Like life is not a Toyota-thon. It's, it's not. not. Don't do Don't this. even try Don't, it. Uh, well, I just kept you know screaming break up with him. Sure. I was like, this is not, this is not what people want. It's sort of like the ending of Grease, but even worse, where it's like Danny Zuko shows up as like sort of a nerd, aka he puts on a sweater. And he's like, is this your card? Like, is this what you want, girl? And it's like, he didn't even try to transform himself at all. It's like Val made the Grease transformation worse where he doesn't have to change at all. And the mom just has to do no. everything. I was like, this is, this is. Grandpa is complicit. I was he not is complicit. He is complicit. They come and visit. He spends a night out there and he says, by gum, that trailer is Jim Dandy. I'm not it's happy not. about any of this. Mom says, what on earth is that? Isn't it a beauty, said dad? It's the 1955 Airstream. So this is, I think, important context. We're buying a brand new like thing for the family. He has not consulted anyone. Dad is immediately letting all of the kids in. You know this family. You know their feet are dirty. Like This is immediate chaos. I'm thinking Can't to myself, it. reading these pages, this is around page 86. I'm literally thinking to myself, the first thing he shows her, Get a load of this, honey. He opened a cupboard and pulled down an ironing board. <sighs> I'm thrilled, said mom, though she didn't sound as if she really was. Oh my God. Mom was not, mom is not thrilled. Here's the thing about mom that we also learn in this book when Mary Ellen is like, I'm a STEM girl boss. Mom was a supervisor at a factory yep. and mom like rage quit because she knew that women weren't being allowed to keep their jobs and listen to dad could take some notes when he heard that story it's it's so bad it's it's like beyond bad i don't even know like the mom says on 90 i'm not sure it'll be a vacation for me you're right mom it won't but all the kids go this was the part that i actually like really like i like like i audibly gasped like i thought i would audibly gasp it's, rereading judy bloom yeah no, no. like the eldest is like, maybe I stay home. Like, maybe I stay home and I watch the house. And they're like, it's not a vacation unless all of us go. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, I'm going to like reject that. And I know because we've read the Route 66 adventure featuring Molly McIntyre. At least in that book, we were a little bit more honest about like what it would mean to cram everyone into a car. Right. Mom says, I just wish you had consulted me. The Airstream is a very expensive thing. 
And I started to look up ads and it's like, is dad secretly CIA? Like, why are we disappearing for the summer? I don't get it. How can this man take like three weeks off in the summer? Also, we have not added into this that the co- he wants to take everyone out west. He's like, we're going to go see the country, like yada, yada, yada. Again, consulted no one. And mistake. mistake. And he and mom is like, so we're not going to go see my parents for two weeks as we do traditionally at this time of year. And it's like, okay, so strike one was you didn't ask her before you made a major household purchase. Not good partner behavior. Strike two, you know this woman never gets to see her parents. We remember the Christmas story, how emotional that reunion was. There's a lot going on with that. She's probably counting down the days till she can go to Georgia. And instead, this man is like, but what about the Alamo? Remember that girl? It's interesting, too, because Mary Ellen observes two things. She observes that dad wants to be democratic about, like, who gets to pick what along the road trip. Like, they get to decide, like, different things that they want to see. But it's also, like, just like our country, a farce of democracy because, like, mom never got to vote in the first place. Like, mom never got to veto this decision in the first place. I kept, like, imagining this many kids in an Airstream and just... No. Honestly, just like this situation couldn't be less for me. My family owned a camper when I was a kid. I know of what I speak. I'm just, I'm not interested in this kind of like cohabitation. When they describe how the family is living, I was like, absolutely not. Like, I have no idea what dad was thinking. It's really bad. Does the trip go on a little too long for you? A lot too long. I mean, I had me wishing, first of all, this Gulfstream and this man had me wishing that mom was on an episode of Next. Like, remember where you could kind of get off the bus and she would like run into like three idiots and they'd have like the most iconic bios getting off the bus like i'm afraid of red starburst or whatever and then immediately she could just be like next i don't know further explanation this is not going to work out and said this woman has to go on the road for like seemingly two years but allegedly only three weeks like how long was this trip there's a really bleak moment that gave me felicity vibes where um the direct quote is Mary Ellen was glad to see mom laugh. Like finally the mom just has like a break and she's laughing about something. And later in that page, the trip was hard work for her. You are correct. You think? And like, to be fair, the older sister who is like probably one of my favorite characters, I think that we've encountered in a while. Love her, yeah. We get this perception that I thought was like really brilliant, which is the entire time you think that she's fantasizing about being back with Jerry because she has to leave Jerry behind and she's supposed to be doing wedding planning. And she's kind of like staring out the window a lot. And basically Mary Ellen confronts her after they have a snafu, like not even really worth describing in Yellowstone. None of that should have been happening. And she says like, you're just being spacey because you miss Jerry. And she's like, no, I've actually had this epiphany that I like loved being at the Alamo and I love being able to explore where things really happened and I want to go to college. And I thought that was like, it was, it totally caught me off guard. Yes. And there was actually a really fascinating piece of that, that I think gets at something special and like sibling relationships, which is like, and just in general, like Marilyn has built this case in her own head about why her sister doesn't want to be on this trip. And she blames Mary Ellen in some way for it because they're stopping at the Alamo, which is Mary Ellen's pick, I think tragically, because she's very invested in Davy Crockett, the TV show. That would not have been my pick, yeah. but like, whatever. And so- I've been. You have, is it worth it? Do you understand why Ozzy Osbourne peed on it and was arrested? How do you feel? I think it's a. I think it's in a really interesting city, and I think it's worth visiting just as like part of United States history, but it is a place where a lot of the interpretive signage around it is so bafflingly contradictory that you have to actually like read up on what occurred there before and after. Right. I do think it gave me a much better appreciation for like, you can read about like shifting boundaries and borders, but to actually be at a place where people were fighting about that, I think gives you a better perspective on U.S. history. Also, the scene where like Pee Wee Herman is on a tour of the Alamo is shown Ooh. in a lot of like park ranger training of like, what not to do. Iconic. Um, and so I, I like, would I go again? No. Am I personally interested in Davy Crockett? No. I think Joan is like so real for that, but I love that Joan falls in love with the idea that a real person had an experience in a place that she could read about. And it inspires her to want to go to Walden Pond. Also not like a a great top choice, but like I'll give her, it's the 50s. Yeah. Joan isn't going to become Jack Kerouac. 
but Joan is inspired to go to college and to do more traveling. And I thought that was beautiful. I did too. And I love that the way she got the Rosemary Ellen saying almost sort of to like, you know, drive Joan crazy at the Alamo, but she was like, wow, it's so like great to be here and think that Davy Crockett may have been, you know, was here and he may have like touched things that I've touched and breathe this air. And that's how I felt as a kid going to historic sites. It's still how I feel. And so she kind of doesn't think it lands on Joan. And then later Joan's like, well, actually what got me thinking about it was being at the Alamo and like hearing you say that. So it's kind of this beautiful moment of like an older sibling actually being influenced by a younger sibling. And, you know, I love this for Joan. I I was scared for her to get married right out of high school. I'm still scared. I don't feel great about it. No, and I don't really feel great about them moving into the Airstream, but I do feel like they're going to save a lot of money. And I'm happy that Joan is investigating college. I think it also underscored that Joan is so young. Like, she is actually so young. And she's still kind of, like, doesn't fully reject being treated like another sibling. And something that I think... I didn't like about then rushing into the STEM plot line and this idea of her needing to like build a rocket or build something that would fly up is I really appreciated getting into like the wedding plot and like Joan finally after this trip and talking to Mary Ellen has the courage to say she doesn't want a fancy wedding. She wants something very simple and she doesn't want what her mother has been planning. And she's very proud of herself for that. And Mary Ellen is very proud of her. Did we need all of these other siblings? Like, I'm not sure. I- yeah, some of them <laughs> like, get lost. So they get lost in the in the shuffle, like Bev and, you know, the two younger ones. I was just kind of like, oh, right, they're on this trip too. Might be. There's like a horse riding expedition that kind of feels pointless. There's just, you know, there's a lot in this book that could have been cut, and I agree. And I also think it's interesting to think about mom as someone who was so proud to work in the factory and only quit in protest, as you say, because they were going to give the women's jobs to men, not recognizing that the women were also responsible for supporting their families as well. So like having a professional life was really important to her. And she goes overboard in wanting Joan to have this very elaborate wedding and to really embrace like seemingly domesticity and like rush right past any potential of college or any kind of other professional experience. So, I mean, that was interesting too. And they don't really talk about that. If anything, it's resolved from like Joan being like, you wanted me to have a fancy wedding. I don't want that. And the mom sort of like, is it like, okay, I guess after Mary Ellen kind of like suggests that. So I don't know. That was we interesting. Also, like, we only hear in passing, of course, because Joan is a minor character that she talks to Jerry about the fact that she wants to go to college and like they start to yes. like put those plans into place But this bigger sense of like, so how will Joan's life be different? And the fact that her mother actually had opportunities that she didn't, right? Like that she did get hired to do pretty interesting work. And then it seems like that age gap, almost 10 years between Joan and Mary Ellen. Now Mary Ellen, bizarrely, is the next one who gets to actually think about science and gets to think about maybe that's something that she wants to do. That's a really different thing for American Girl, right? To show like within a generation, the difference in opportunities that people might get. The family also encourages the curiosity in Mary Ellen in a way that they don't for Joan. Like the grandparents have clocked that she enjoyed watching birds and they buy her a sketchbook. And I think to your point, it's sort of like, well, Joan is getting married. Like that's her identity now. And Joan very much gives me Jill from molly mcintyre books vibes it's like well that's her personality she's the older sister right she's the meg march like she's just going to get married like we don't need to worry about well her. and i think that's a moment too where in the books where you kind of wish that more of mary ellen's polio experience would kind of we would get more flashbacks or something because i do think when a child in a family has a disability or a chronic illness like it does change the dynamic of the family and maybe like she's more precious because they almost lost her like there could be a million other things going on or as you say like Joan's identity is just like and she's getting married but I did wonder like is that part of it too like we're so thankful that we still have her and that she wasn't like one in three you know polio cases in that period ended in paralysis and she's not yeah. paralyzed so I mean I can only imagine how grateful they must have felt as parents you know, does that lend itself to like, we must like really encourage her, like, you know, all these other things. Cause, and again, we're only focusing on her. So we're not hearing whatever else the parents are saying to Bev or the other kids about whatever their interests might be. 
I, I just, for the sake of like getting through this book, it's like we had to pretend that Beverly is not even there, which is what mom and dad did also. As a middle child, that hit hard. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. It was just sort of at a certain point, the mom is like, how does she keep any of this straight or, you know, not blow up at the dad? I did think it was fascinating that that plot line never gets resolved. So at a certain point, the girls in the family, including Mary Ellen on this trip, notice that mom is frustrated and that she's having to do a lot of work because dad also floated don't worry you'll never have to cook because i'm going to catch fish the whole trip which it's like we knew the minute this man said that 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 was not going to happen and of course he doesn't catch anything so this woman is like preparing tv dinners and motel rooms like when she finally protests and is like i need a break from this trailer And the girls were the ones who were like, oh, mom's frustrated, so we really need to step it up here and support her. But dad never says, hey, mom, I completely blew it here. Everything you said would happen happened. I'm going to, you know, really support you here and, you know, take on these chores or, you know, I'm going to go find food that's not fish if I can't catch any. Like that is never resolved. And I really wonder what was up with that. No, and I don't know if we like fully explain this, but Mary Ellen has caught on to like her mother's dissatisfaction with this. And she knows that Joan now has a problem, which is if she wants to go to college, they can't afford housing because they'll be married. And so that will change the access to housing that Jerry gets. And so Mary Ellen just kind of punts like, well, they could live in the Airstream. And that makes her mother very happy. It's also like who is making decisions in this family and why? And after all of this kind of early buildup in book one about like her wanting to have like the girls room and all of this, we don't even really come back to the fact that like now like they're down a child and they've like freed up a lot of space in the house. It's it's a little bit kind of baffling. Instead, we get into like a Cold War contest and it's like, well, obviously like we need to beat Russian kids. So we have to build stuff that goes into outer space. It's it's unfathomable to me how we pivot from her being a guest, you know, member of the Memorial Day Parade for encouraging vaccination to a literary teacher yelling out, you can't let those communist kids in Russia get ahead of you. Like when they're launching a from nowhere science contest for the kids to do over the summer about, you know, can you create something that can fly and importantly stay in the air the longest against kids in other schools, they have to work in teams. And it's just sort of like, this really feels like it's coming out of left field. Yeah. And like, we know from hidden figures that like, I'm a little skeptical that when like the news trucks roll up or like the reporters are there, they're like, Mary Ellen is the one, like we remember her, like we're gonna shine the spotlight on her. Mary Ellen turns into a politician and they say, like, what does a team need to succeed? And she says, listen, (laughs) listen to each other because every idea deserves respect and every person does too. And she learns that like by being a good member of a team, like that's how she actually is able to stand out because that's what like kind of like propels her pun intended into this space. I also was reading this and kind of laughing because people of the baby boom generation are the first to criticize participation trophies. And literally the teacher, Mr. Hagobian makes up an award so that Mary Ellen yes. will still feel like a winner when the loony balloonies, her bonkers team name literally lost. Yes. That was not lost on me that he's like, I'm going to make a creativity slash like participation prize. And it is a sweet moment, but it's like, wow, they're really going out of their way to like reward Mary Ellen, it seems, or like this plot is designed to specifically reward Mary Ellen when I think it would have been just as well if they had lost. Like, I don't think anyone would have cared, but it's like Val's really working overboard that like somebody has to leave here (laughs) on a win. That was that was a lot. And then you kind of get the echoing of like her mom's experience when Skip, the self-appointed leader of the original team that she leaves to then make loony balloonies with her friends. Like there's just so, so much with this book. Like he's basically like, you should take notes. And she's like, why? And he's like, you're a girl. You're the girl. And you're like, okay, this is not subtle. So she leaves. And then she and Davy and Wayne form with the other girls, the loony balloonies. But there's also an unresolved plotline of like they Val really goes out of her way to be like Davy and Mary Ellen are at odds. They are not friends anymore. Yes. And the sisters are like, well, it's not going to be the same because you're older. Like you'll see. 
And then they never have a direct conversation about it, about whatever happened in their friendship. And instead, Davey, like, writes a letter of recommendation for her to the mayor for inspiring people to get vaccinated. I don't I don't know what we were to make of him. It's like there are two Davies in her life, Crockett and the neighbor. And like when forced to choose, it's like we go pro Crockett, we go out to the Alamo and then like she makes space for Davey again. I think the like boy girl rivalry is kind of like low key in this book, but it is present throughout. It's like, well, girls can't do this or that. I think this book, I really truthfully though, like of all the ones that we've read, has some of the best like subtle critique because Mary Ellen notices things. Like yes. Mary Ellen notices that when they all go stargazing at the Grand Canyon, her mother has to put Mi- Mikey to bed. And I think she's one of the first characters that we really clocked that doesn't feel the injustice for herself. Like Felicity doesn't want to make apple butter because she doesn't want to make apple butter. Mary Ellen is mad that her mother misses out on opportunities and that her sister's world might be small because they are female. And that is something where I wish this was a proper novel because I feel the separateness of the stories and I don't feel them building together. And Mary Ellen is a character that like, I was reflecting on it and I don't think it's just timing. I don't think I've ever seen someone say like, I'm a Mary Ellen. And maybe like you're listening and you have, and like, I'm very happy for you. But like, why does this character not have that same like iconic latch onto the way that other characters do? I think it's because it's so plot driven. There's so much plot driven stuff in these books. It's like, who are you, girl? I mean, in some ways, like speaking of science, it's sort of like she is a character who is dreamed up in a lab to speak to a very specific vision of the 1950s. Like... I think the brand was willing to offer a vision of like 50s nostalgia with some measure of critique. Like in other words, yes, we the mom is a Rosie the Riveter like after the war and we kind of see what happens with her and we're in her head, Mary Ellen's head enough to notice with her when the mom is frustrated by the limitations of her life as a homemaker with certain extremely gendered expectations. That seems like a really powerful critique that I wish if this had truly been a novel conceived as such, we would have seen some kind of change over time, or at least like that goes somewhere. Maybe we see more of it. The mom, you know, pushes back at the end of the book and gets some measure of autonomy, whether it's just within her home or something. There's none of that. And there's certainly no recognition of anything racially happening in the country like the peak into the past we can get into has like limited at best language about this so i think it's like they dreamed this up in a lab and we're like we're gonna do like a 50s white girl feel good story with some critique of things in the past but not enough it's like she's all plot no character and we need more character there are photographs in a different version, like the shorter abridged version of Mary Ellen taking off that show like and have more information about Brown versus Board, mm-hmm. which is this exact time period that is talked about. Um, and this says explicitly in this version, which is not the one that we read in the South where the Larkins lived, African-Americans were segregated or kept separate from whites. It was hard for black families to travel because many hotels and restaurants refused to serve them. Black children went to schools that were supposed to be separate but equal, but the reality was that Black schools had less money and not enough books or desks for their students. Literally half of this peek into the past, like the first half is about space and then like travel for white Americans. And the second half is about the Jim Crow South. My version is not like that at all. Like the version that we read does does not have like the photographs or doesn't have that same kind of content. It's, it's bizarre because you would also think because so much of this book is about the trip that neither one of us wish they took, um, that that would be a good moment to say like, and if you were black in this period, you would have relied on things like the green book, not the movie, the actual book, um, to navigate leisure like such that you had access to it or like what segregation would have meant for your life in school and transportation and all parts of life and there's really nothing about that there um you know it's just it's also kind of like they could have done something i wish they would do across the brand which is like hey remember josefina 
Now, like, think about the fact, like, the erasure of indigenous people or the erasure of non-white actors, like, in the South. Like, what kinds of interpretation would Mary Ellen have seen at the Alamo? And how is that different today? How would we tell that story differently today? Like, why was Davy Crockett so popular in the 1950s? Like, why is a frontier story so popular at the same time that, you know, we were also attempting to colonize space as part of the Cold War, which, you know, sadly, we're living through more space colonization right now. But you know, whatever, like that would have been interesting. That's not there either. I do appreciate that, like the opener to Inside Mary Ellen's World, which is what we have, says in 1954, polio was a big deal. I was like, I respect that. Yes. Thank you for coming <laughs> Thank you on for that. It. And I should, I should say, to be clear, it's not that like the text is like that. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, they are, they are different. Like we are looking at like very different kinds of texts and it's like the differences are subtle, but feeling like you could open up and see like a whole half page about racial segregation. This in our book is pages 180 to 181. It's so like literally crammed in at the end. It's like this as if it has like no relationship to the story whatsoever. Um, Angela does come back towards the end of this book, but otherwise it's like RIP Angela. Yeah, like she's gone. Like she went, she, we there's really a throwaway know. line that's like, well, I'm going to visit my relatives in Italy, so I can't be part of the science <laughs> contest. And you're like, okay, I guess we won't see you. Bye. Uh, like, it's been great. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's also kind of like who's doing the segregating. Don't ask who is leading the space race. Don't ask. Right, um, right. There, there is something like on the Life magazine that's excerpted in this other version of the Mary Ellen book. One of the top stories is how teen marriages work. It's like, well, somebody tell Joan, somebody tell Joan because we have a, a, a teen bride situation. We are not done with Mary Ellen. We are not. That's a threat and a promise. I'm scared. I'm excited, but I'm also like, what in the world is this going to be? <laughs> what, what, what awaits us? Mary Ellen has a movie, which was a surprise to both of us. But of all the characters, Mary Ellen gets a film. So we will be checking that out. We will be checking that out. We have some other content coming your way that we're very excited about. Um, we are covering Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret on our Patreon this month. So please feel free to check us out there. Allison, where can people find the show and find you? Yeah, they should feel free to send like other ideas for COVID jingles uh, to me at Allison Horrix. Mm -hmm. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all the places. If you want to find the show on Instagram, we're uh, Dolls of Our Lives podcast. We're really easy to find. Look us up there. Mary, where should people send their jingle ideas to you? We'd love to hear from you at Mimi Mahoney on Instagram and at Mary Mahoney123 on Twitter. Um, genuinely excited to see where we're going with all of this and so appreciate hearing from everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you on our next episode. <laughs>